What a beautiful story we get to be a part of, huh? What a beautiful story God's writing through, through his global church. And I just love watching this video so many times this weekend. It's just good for my heart to be reminded of this. That's not just what we do. That's who we are. Right? We are a people that go, that send, and love. And so it's just a beautiful thing that God lets us write this story with him. I'm excited to get to share with you guys this weekend. My name is Ben. I have the distinct joy of serving and leading our young adults in the return. And uh, I tell you, it, uh, they're here this morning <laughs> with all of us. That's a good thing. While we're yelling at everybody, why don't we welcome all the folks over in the video venue. Welcome them into the room. Give a shout out for all the folks that are watching online. Why don't you wave to them? Guys, I can't see you. I was just totally kidding. Like, I'm just messing. Sorry. Hey, this week we wrap up this series that we've been living in for the last handful of weeks in the last half, the last stretch of the Gospel of John, where we're coming around the table, unpacking these pivotal moments with Jesus and his disciples. These meaningful conversations that I, I can't imagine that they would not absolutely, completely mark their hearts in a new way. And over the last handful of weeks, my mind has been churning with, as this table has been out here every weekend, my mind's been just thinking over how many moments I've had around a table. These moments that are so meaningful that, that mark my life. I remember growing up, I absolutely loved our dining room table. Our family time, all of our meals around this table. Most particularly enjoying mom's famous chili at Christmas Eve. On, the night, at, on that night right before Christmas when we come home from candlelight service and mom has made chili and all is good. We're all happy. Until the year she forgot how to make her chili. And um, accidentally, and she kind of got flustered and kind of went rogue on her unwritten recipe. And um, Christmas Eve has never been the same since. Uh, always good chili. New year, new chili. Uh, with the question, is that, is that what it was? Nope, mom. But we love it. We love it. My mind could take you. I could actually, if the, if the restaurant still existed, my mind could take you right to the same table that my wife Crystal and I shared our very first date 7,579 days ago. Yes, I am counting, okay? And the reason why is because every day with that woman is one more reason to celebrate, okay? So I, uh, yeah, yeah, I, uh, I, no shame in that. She got gum stuck in her hair. <laughs> 20 years later, I'm still telling myself it's because she was nervous. So I don't know if that's true, but I'm telling myself that. I think about time with my son around this card table, this small card table in our treehouse. Yes, we have a treehouse. And what we'll do is we will get all of his Legos out and we will build the craziest, most ridiculous thing 16 feet up in the air. While all the while talking about what a life in love with Jesus looks like when you're 11. And what it looks like to grow to be a man after God's own heart. At a card table in a tree. My, my heart could take you straight to this little red table in this, the corner of our living room. It's maybe only this tall with these, these cute, adorable little red chairs that go with it. And I could tell you of countless moments where I have shared picnics and beautiful little tea parties with the two most precious princesses in my life. It's also where I get my nails done by a three-year-old <laughs> on most Mondays, Okay. I could take you across the street to the exact table where I got to hear for the very first time from a friend 
confession of faith that Jesus is Savior and Jesus is King. I could take you to so many tables. I could take you to a table on a porch on a house, at a house in Tinka, Romania, where every May I get a circle up with my Roma brothers in Christ to dive in on God's word. Tables that have marked my life. I could tell, take you to the exact table where I sat down with my brother-in-law to have one of the hardest conversations of my entire life as we were walking through the wake of a marriage that no one thought would fail, but did. But I could also take you to a different table in a different time, in a different place, to have one of the most beautiful conversations I've ever had with my brother-in-law as God was redeeming and restoring and renewing and reviving what once was dead. There's so many tables, so many moments around tables. I could take you to tables much like this where hard conversations would come my way and sit in my lap about some of my choices I could also take you to my dining room table. There's nothing cool about it. I love it, though. It's one of those that it was the very first table that Crystal and I ever bought. And we, we thought we'd arrived because we were finally buying furniture. Little did we know it would be the fourth table because every time the people delivered it, it was broken. So they kept taking it back. For like four or five weeks, we had no table. And I just, I remember how ridiculous that sounds. But for me, what's so special about that table is all the time around it with my family and all of my mornings where I'm soaking in God's word, praying that this becomes my vocabulary. There's just something, something about coming around the table there's something special about it where God goes to do good work. These definitive moments that shape us, that change us. And Jesus, Jesus is all about the work of making tables, inviting us to the table, always making room for us at the table, inviting us to pull up a chair and take a seat at the table with him, to be near him, to be close to him, to be in relationship with him. Not just because he's a carpenter, but because he's a good shepherd. And he knows what's best for us. These moments where we know without a doubt that his fingerprints are all over everything. These, these moments where we can see that he's shaping us. He's molding us into something new. He's challenging us. He's pruning us. He's grooming us. He's growing us. He's comforting us. When our hearts are aching but he's also confronting us when our hearts are cold and he's calling us to come to the table with him. This weekend, we're gonna dive in on one last moment around the table with Jesus and his disciples. And if you've been with us for the last handful of weeks, you know this, we've been moving through these ideas of proximity to Jesus and the power of Jesus. And this last weekend, the prayer of Jesus. And now it is time to talk about the plan of Jesus. And a whole bunch has happened since last week in John 17 and what Jesus was praying to where we will find ourselves this weekend in John chapter 20. A ton has happened. The cross has happened. Crucifixion has happened. Suffering has happened. Sacrifice has happened. Death has happened. Waiting has happened. What on earth is going to happen next has happened. But resurrection has happened. 
an empty tomb has happened. And Jesus' sightings are happening like it's going out of style. And hope is rising. But it's in these words that I think we're going to unpack this morning that we see the plan of Jesus quite clearly. It's really the capstone of what Jesus calls us to. And it's the same plan that we've seen through the whole Gospel of John. The whole Gospel of John, the whole focus of the Gospel of John is the mission of Jesus. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to get after it. We're going to be hanging out in, in John chapter 20. So if you've got your Bibles, you can turn there. I know words are going to be on screen. You've got your phones. If you want to grab the notes, whatever, here's what I'll tell you. I'll tell you what I tell our young adults all the time, and it is simply this. When we step into the story of Scripture, we do it with humility, and we do it with expectant hearts. Because God intends to do something with our time together now. Okay, so let's jump in on this. That's what we're going to get after. John chapter 20, verse 19 and following. It says, On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Okay, there's a ton going on just in these handful of verses. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to grab a hold, do the best we can to grab a hold of what we can. But the first thing we're going to do is we're going to anchor this time in the phrase that ties it all together. And it's simply this, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. This should remind all of our hearts of John 17 when Jesus is praying, just as you have sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. This word sent to cause action, to order action, to give mission. All of these words bundled up, these meanings, the all variations of that specific word in its various forms are used almost 60 times in the Gospel of John. The whole thing is about sending and being sent. Like this is how multiplication works. The sending and being sent, that Jesus is the one who was sent into the world. He comes into the world. And the purpose of it, he's sent from the Father so that he would give glory to the Father and he would give forgiveness to the world. For God so loved the world. He sent his son not to condemn the world, but to save the world over and over and over again in the Gospels. We see this mission of Jesus to make known the love of the Father and to give him glory. And so when Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you, here's what I think we can grab a hold of pretty quickly. His mission becomes my mission. His mission is my mission. Any other mission in my life falls subject to this mission. All missions. We have the same purpose. If you are a follower of Christ, you have a mission. You have been sent into this world to make him known. And to bring glory to God, that is the mission. That's the same call. And sometimes, sometimes being sent, it will look like the video that we just watched. Where it is your privilege, it is your joy, it is your opportunity to go. And to love on little girls so that they would know that they are daughters of the king. And you would provide care medically 
that they can't get anywhere else unless you go to them. And you build homes for people who have no homes. Sometimes that's what being sent looks like. Sometimes being sent means you pack up and you peace out and you head to somewhere else on planet Earth. And you both go and you stay. You stay. Because that is where God has sent you. Sometimes being sent means staying put. I was joking around with some of the guys in the office the other day. We may not all be sent to Mozambique. But every single one of us are sent across the street. Every single one of us, any way you look at it, his mission is our mission and it begins directly in front of us with whoever is in front of us. Because as you go, so goes the gospel. Wherever you go, you bring good news with you. What kind of news are you bringing with you? As you go, so goes the gospel. That is the plan, that is the mission because Jesus has completed the work of the cross. He's defeated death and he's begun a work of new creation. And so now it's time to implement the plan. Jesus' mission was specifically to Israel. And he gives the mission now to his disciples that it would go into the world. He's achieved the mission. Followers now implement the mission. And if Jesus, if Jesus is all about the work of making tables, well, then we have some tables to make. If Jesus is all about the work of inviting people to the table, we got people in our lives to invite to the table. Jesus calls us to follow and he sends us to lead. He calls us to follow him in obedience, to live a life that tells that story, but he leads us to share his love and make him known through the tables that we make. That's why, that's why obeying perfectly cannot be our focus. But following faithfully is. It's because he's called us to follow and he sent us to lead. And when we do, we lead others to him through the tables that we make. Think of it this way. Here's a whole other way to maybe ask yourself, how does something so radical as resurrection, something that the unique work of what Jesus has done in one place, in one time, then therefore impact all places and all time. Implementation. There's a mission at hand. How is it that the, the message of reconciliation that Jesus preached, the tables that Jesus made in first century Palestine is something that we're talking about 2,000 years later? How is it that it could reach the ends of the earth? Implementation. Multiplication. But that is hard to remember sometimes. I think it's hard to stay on mission. And the reason why is we got so many side missions. We got so many side missions in our lives. Sometimes our goals are for our glory. And sometimes that's why they don't work out. We have so many side missions. I am reminded often how hard it is to stay on mission. Particularly every time Crystal sends me to the grocery store with a list that does not include double stuffed Oreos. <laughs> that does not make sense to me. I don't know how to process that. I don't know why it's not on the list. I cannot be sent to the grocery store unattended. My kids even know it because they're like, Dad, two for five. <laughs> and I'm like, 
yes, let's do it, right? And I come home with all this stuff that Crystal didn't put on the list. Um, it's, this is mission drift at its best. I experienced this. I can't walk away from that. Sometimes, though, I think our idea of being sent, it's a negative one. Sometimes it's a negative one because so much of the time when we are sent somewhere, it means somebody else has authority over us, right? Like when you're sent to go do something, it's not typically because it was your choice. Sometimes we're sent, like growing up, I remember being sent to my room because it was a no fun zone. Now you have to take things away from kids because I got so many cool things in their room. But I remember growing up, my brother, he's 20 months older than me, and we are, I don't know what we were doing, we were fighting or something, but for time's sake, it was all his fault, okay? And, um, and we get into trouble. We managed to make the most wonderful, kind, sweetest lady on planet Earth furious, okay? And my mom was ticked, okay? And she sent us to our room, which we knew what that meant. We knew that meant she needs to cool down, but wrath is still coming down the hall, okay? We know what's coming, all right? So we develop a plan and we do what made the most sense to us. We put on every pair of underwear that we had. I literally, to the point where my legs were like, it was like cutting off circulation. Like I had so many pairs of underwear on. And, and, it, and amazingly enough, my mom comes out of the room and she just starts laughing. And grace was afforded us only once. It only worked one time. My mom told me last night, she was like, if I had known you were going to tell that story, I would have brought the picture. <laughs> Not necessary um, at all. I think sometimes we just attach negative things, negative things to this idea of being sent. Sometimes we attach consequences. I can remember a time, or if I'm honest, a few times where I was sent to the principal's office. When I was in junior high, one time in particular, there was this bully and he is just running his mouth and he is picking on this one dude just a few lockers down from me. And this is in between class. This is before things are really getting underway. And he just is just not letting up. And some of the guys all around him, they just were sick of it. They threw down their books. They picked him up, carried him across the hallway and hung him by his belt on a coat rack. Okay. So this bully is just swinging, spewing venom just in time for a teacher to walk out the hallway while we're going, like that, and sent all of us to the principal's office. Even the guy who didn't even do it. Though if I'm honest, I wish I had done it. This is confession. This is an opportunity for you to give me grace. I was in junior high. This was seventh grade. Those are hard years, okay? But we were sent to encounter consequences. And I wasn't even part of it. I mean, that's what we see sent as so much of the time. is something that we were told we have to do. And we didn't really want to. I mean, how many times has somebody come up to you and said, hey, I would like to send you to Hawaii because I love you. They don't. They send themselves, okay? Right? See what I'm saying? Like sometimes, sometimes our idea of being sent is so negative. Sometimes it paralyzes us and it leaves room for fear. Where sometimes we, we are so afraid of sounding like we're telling someone what to believe that we're afraid to even really come to terms with what we believe in order to be able to share it. We got to remember his mission is my mission. It is my plan, his plan. 
And that plan is to make tables. My plan is, is my job is to make tables and to invite anyone and everyone to come and sit at the table, to pull up a chair. And this table encounter that we're looking at this morning, I think we can see how table makers are sent. So let's look closer at what's going on here. This is the day, this is day one. This is the day that Jesus has come back to life. He's risen from the dead that morning. Jesus has already been seen by Mary Magdalene outside the tomb. We know from the Luke 24 passage that, that Peter has already seen Jesus. And even some of the disciples on the road to Emmaus have encountered Jesus. There's, there's Jesus sightings. The reports of these things are, are rolling in like crazy. And yet these cats, they are behind locked doors. They don't know what to do other than to lock themselves in. And we don't know if they went back to the upper room. We don't know the, the room that, that this conversation really began to unfold the night before Jesus went to the cross. We don't know that. All we know is they went back somewhere where they could be behind locked doors. And the language even suggests it's not just locked doors. They like barred themselves in. They're not planning to go out and they don't want anyone coming in. They're scared. And Jesus comes and stands among them. Yikes. Like he doesn't use a door. Like when we, in, in, in Luke's account of this, like they're not just scared of, of the Jewish leaders. They're, they think they've seen a ghost. So they're not just spooked here. Jesus scares them, okay? They're like, what's going on? And the reason why is because he doesn't use the door. He just shows up. Man, he knows how to come into a room, right? Jesus be like, I don't need no door. Like, I don't need that. He just came back to life. Clearly obeying the laws of nature is not high on his list of things that he feels like he needs to do. And he says, peace be with you. He says, peace be with you. He even says it a second time. Peace be with you. Jesus is, is greeting them with shalom, this word, this concept, this idea that captures complete restoration, completeness, and wholeness, that all is the way it should be. And that's what comes out of his mouth. And here's the thing. When Jesus says this, he's not just greeting them like, hey, what up? That's not what he's doing. He's settling their hearts. He's speaking to their fears. Because with Jesus comes the true peace with God to the forgiveness of sins. And when Jesus enters the room, and he enters the, he enters the room with the full blessing of peace, dare I say, multiplied peace. And it's because Jesus has completed the mission. He's accomplished the mission. The work of the cross was for peace. That's why Paul can write about it in Romans 5, where he says that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's why Paul can write about it in Colossians 1, we have, where he made peace through his blood, shed on the cross, because he's reconciling all things to himself. So if you're following along, you want to fill in the blank, one of the first things that we can grab a hold of is this. Table makers are sent with peace. Table makers are sent with peace. We are sent with the peace that settles our hearts and the peace that saves our hearts. We're sent with the message of peace. This is why when, when Paul is later talking in Romans 10 and he's talking about how important it is that we would go, that we would recognize, and he's asking a whole bunch of questions. He's saying things like, how on earth are people gonna know unless somebody goes? How on earth is everybody gonna know who Jesus is unless we recognize that we've been sent to go? And that's what he brings into that question. Who's gonna go? 
And he says that how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. What's your feet look like? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news? Maybe the question for you this weekend is this. Do you know this peace? Do you know this peace? Like, have you received this peace in your life? Like, does the peace of Christ rule in your heart? Or is it just there sometimes? Because table makers are sent with peace. And if you don't have this peace, it's really hard to share it with somebody else. Maybe the question, though, is this. Who are the people around you, the people in front of you, that need this peace? And when you're going to invite them to the table, don't miss this. Right in between these words is verse 20. It says, after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were pumped about it. They're like overjoyed because they recognize this is not a ghost. This is Jesus. They're freaked out. He doesn't just settle their hearts with words, peace be with you. He reassures them that this is reality. This moment is really happening. And they're pumped. They're overjoyed. He shows them his wounds. He's identifying himself. But he's also giving evidence for them to know the price has been paid for salvation. Peace with God is now possible. So grab a hold of this. Table makers are sent with proof. We're sent with proof. In Luke's gospel, he even ate with them. And maybe right now in this moment, you're like, okay, Ben, what's this have to do with me? I've never had a physical encounter with Jesus. Okay, let me ask you this way then. How has he shown himself real to you? How has he proven himself to you? How has he shown to you that he found you worth it? Because maybe, maybe the better question is where are your scars? Where are your scars? How have you brought your brokenness to him and experienced his healing in return? Because I'm going to tell you right now, yes, life is going to leave you with scars. But those scars are stories of God's redemptive work in you and through you. Where are your scars? The best story that you can tell is how Jesus has saved you. Table makers are sent with proof. And I know sometimes we think we have to have all the answers. We think we have to know this from page one to the end of all of it. Sometimes we think we have to have every doctrinal thing figured out and know everything and have all the answers before we choose to make tables with other people. Sometimes we tell ourselves that. The kicker is this. You don't have to have all the answers to make tables and invite others to experience God's redemptive work in you. You don't have to have it all figured out. That's not an expectation that Jesus has given you because he's called you to be faithful and to tell the story of what he's done in you. Church family, you have a story because you are the story. 
You have a testimony because you are the testimony. And you have proof because you are proof that Jesus is alive and he is doing good things. And he is restoring and reconciling all things to himself. What evidence do you have of Jesus faithfully loving you, faithfully healing you, faithfully saving you? And who in your life needs to experience that from you around a table? Now that their fears have turned to joy, they went from being scared to like party time, pumped about this. This is when Jesus commissions them. As the Father sent me, I am sending you. This is the dedication moment, that this is the task at hand. You will take this message into the world. This is the moment where it's, it, we are to take his place in the world. And it's the same mission that he's going to remind them of in Matthew 28, right before he pieces out and heads back to heaven, where he says that all authority has been given to me. Go. Make disciples. Where? All nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them. Teaching them to obey all the stuff that I taught you and to trust. Trust I'm going with you. Surely I am with you to the very end of the age. It's the same mission. Go make disciples. Make some tables. But in verse 22, something interesting happens. Jesus breathes on them. Awkward. Like I just imagine like he's talking and then he just is like, like that, that's literally what the word means. Like that's weird, right? Am I the only one? I think that's weird. Some of us are like, you have those moments where you're like close talkers, right? And you're, you're like, hey, you're in my business, right? And what do you do? You kind of shift and kind of scoot away because you're like thinking, maybe they don't know. Maybe they don't know. You scoot away. What do they do? They take a step towards you, right? It's like, I can feel your breath on my face, right? You are in my space. Jesus breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. You want to know why? Here's why. They can't implement the plan. They can't implement the mission minus the Spirit. They can't do what he's telling them to do without the Holy Spirit. He's enabling them. He's empowering them. This is what's so wild about what's going on with this word breathed. It's the same word of spirit and wind and breathe. And what's so fascinating is this. You've probably heard this a gazillion times. It's the same word in the Greek language that we find in the New Testament. It's the same word that parallels with the Hebrew word in the Old Testament. And how amazing is it is this, that it takes us straight back to Genesis 2, verse 7. When God breathed into Adam's nostrils the breath of life. And what happened? He became a living being. He became a living being. Jesus is not, not just giving life here. Jesus is giving new life. And it's not just physical life, it's spiritual life. So here's what the next thing we can grab a hold of is this. Table makers are sent with power. We are sent with power. Power to take this message to the ends of the earth. Power to take this message across the street. Power to take this message, this mission, to wherever on earth tables are needed in your life. Wherever they are. Jesus is not just giving life. He is giving the way of life. 
We got everything we need here. We are fully equipped to be successful in the kingdom. Verse 23 says, if you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. And if you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. And sometimes we read that and we're like, does that mean I'm supposed to be withholding? Like, am I just supposed to be really selective about how I forgive? No, here's, here's the best way, I think, to wrap our heads around these words. It's this, that we pronounce in God's name by his spirit the message of forgiveness to all who believe in Jesus. We don't provide forgiveness. We proclaim forgiveness because we stand on the completed work of Jesus. We don't provide it, we proclaim it. And so as we go into the world, we announce the good news that Jesus loves and Jesus saves, but it also means that we warn of the dangers of sin because we have tasted the freedom that follows forgiveness. This is our message. This is our mission. This is the table that we have been sent to make. Church, sometimes we read this and we put ourselves in it, understandably so. We read this and we think, yes, God loves me. And that is true. But this is so much more, so much more. Church family, your salvation is not the end game. His glory is. You have been saved to be sent. You've been saved to be sent. So where or where are tables to be made in your life? It takes my heart straight to Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 5. Let me read some verses to us here. Verse 17, he says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He gave us, us. That's you. That's me. That's the church. The ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. That means this. We speak on behalf of the king. We carry the message of the king. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. He is making his appeal through us. So where, oh where, do you need to make some tables? Where in your life are there no tables? Who needs to sit in this table, in this chair, at a table that you've made? Are there empty seats at the tables you're making that you would give anything for somebody to sit in it? Who are those people? Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's your mom or your dad. Maybe it's stories like what we just got to see in the baptistry. I could tell you tons of stories of college-age young adults who are leading their mom and dad to know Jesus because of the way they're living life in love with Jesus. Maybe it's a son or a daughter that has decided, I don't want to believe what you believe anymore. 
because I've decided to buy lies. Don't stop making tables. Maybe it's a brother or a sister. They're walking through it. It's you that gets to make the table. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's, it's your workplace. Maybe, maybe it's somebody you work with. Who needs to sit at the table? Who are you saving a seat for? Who are you making a table for? Is it somebody you work for? Somebody who works for you? Maybe it's a generation. Maybe God has put so much in your life and you feel it on your heart that it is time to pour that into people who have not lived as much life as you. Maybe it's a people group. Do you know that there are people on planet Earth right now that have yet to hear the words, Jesus loves you? Maybe it's a country. And maybe that's scary. Maybe it's a community and that's scarier. Who will encounter Christ's love because you chose to share Christ's love with them? That because they encountered you, they get glimpses of what Jesus is doing. Like who in your life is waiting to experience Christ through you? Who in your life is waiting to, to hear it, to see it, to feel it, to know it? Like who needs to sit at the table? Do you remember who made the table for you? His mission is my mission. His mission is our mission. His message is our message. That is the plan. And out there is a world that has gone sideways waiting for somebody to invite them to the table. And I don't want you to hear me wrong. This is not an attempt to scare you into sharing your faith. I am not the guy that would tell you, you may be the last Jesus that somebody meets. God is way too big for that. I'm just the guy that would say, choose to be the first. Choose to be the first Jesus that somebody meets because you have been sent to make tables. You have been sent with proof, with power, and with peace. It's time to make tables. Here in a moment, we're going to share in communion together. Our volunteers, if you want to make your way back, this is, this is a good window. We're going to share in communion together. And they're going to bring us the elements of bread and juice. These things that remind our hearts of the price paid for our freedom. The price paid for our seat at the table. You know, the next verse that Jesus, of what Paul says in, in chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians, when he says all those beautiful words that we were just talking about, he says this, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we could have a seat at the table. Jesus took our place on the cross so that we could have a seat at the table. And maybe you're with us this morning and you're like, man, Ben, I don't know you and I don't know this Jesus guy and I'm just not so sure. And I just want to tell you, I am so thankful that you are here. The tray's going to come your way. 
And you can let that thing pass. But I would encourage you this. I would implore you. Consider this. The price that has been paid for the invitation to the seat that sets before you. But if Jesus is your Savior and Jesus is your King, share in the bread, share in the juice, and may your heart be reminded this is what we signed up for. His mission is my mission. The ministry of reconciliation, the message of reconciliation has been come. It has come to me. It has been brought to me. And therefore, as the Father has sent him, he sends us. Church family, this is our declaration of faith. This is who we are. It's not just what we do. Let's take communion together now.